Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Top Republicans cast doubts on key budget proposals Governor Tony Evers thought he could find compromise on. Plus, what cases will candidates in the state Supreme Court race recuse themselves from? And why the Republican co-chairs on the Budget Committee say it's unlikely a flat tax will be included in the final document. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for March 3rd. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. Jay, we're going to start this week with the Wisconsin Counties Association. They held their annual legislative conference here mm-hmm. in Madison. There's usually some headlines that come out of it. Specifically, the governor always does a coffee talk, and then legislative leaders from both parties sit down and kind of have a roundtable about what's the latest going on in the Capitol, which is a lot of talk about the budget and where possible areas of compromise can be. So we first heard from Governor Tony Evers when he sat uh, earlier in the week before legislative leaders, and he said there will be compromise talk talking to reporters afterwards on a way to give local governments more money, also known as shared revenue. Now, the next day, Assembly Speaker Robin Boss kind of blasted Governor Tony Evers, saying, you know, I don't really know if we're going to get to what he wants with shared revenue. And he also blasted Evers' budget as a fantasy land and for using, quote-unquote, phony math, arguing there's nowhere near enough revenue to fund his proposals, such as K-12 through spending. And like I mentioned, he lowered expectations, expectations for how much local governments could see uh, to, you know, pay for things, EMS, police, a whole... Uh, host of essential services. Let's first hear from both of them on this topic, and then we'll kind of dive into maybe if they can reach an agreement later on. Shared revenue, yes, we've talked about it. And they, they, they understand that there will be, uh, they agree that there will be some money, more money for our, our counties and municipalities, absolutely. How that's going to look, I don't know. We'll know more this week when I meet with them. I think at the end of the day, we will try to prioritize increases in local government spending. But if I was sitting here and speaking to the Wisconsin Association of School Boards, they are going to want an increase in spending too. And if I were talking to the Wisconsin Towns Association, they would like more money as well. So we have got a really challenging environment to deal with where people believe that there is more money than we can spend, but the reality is we have a whole lot of priorities we have to figure out. So the big question now is one of the areas that we thought there was possible compromise on is maybe up in the air now. So my impression is there's agreement that there's going to be more shared revenue for local governments. There's agreement the sales tax is going to be a component of it. The question is the details and how it's going to be structured. So if you look at what Evers proposed, he wants to take one penny of the five-cent sales tax and dedicate it towards share revenue. He wants to cover three main things that we pay for right now with general purpose revenue with that pot of money. Um, That would result in the second year of the budget in a $576 million increase for shared revenue. Republicans still talking about one penny of the five cents but they want to put more into it, they want to structure it differently, and oh, by the way, they're talking about a separate bill from the budget. So you'd have the funding in the budget, you'd have the structure of it in a separate bill. The reason you would do that is because Evers can take his partial veto pen and rewrite stuff if there's a spending component to a bill. 
putting all the policy in a bill would prevent him from doing that. Now, you would argue if you reach an agreement, you should trust each other to do things what you said. There's a lot of trust in the Capitol, right? So that's why we're seeing this trailer bill talk kind of coming forward. There's also going to be stuff talked about, like should there be an innovation fund, which would reward local governments who consolidate services or try new things? Um, is there going to be strings attached to the money of, okay, we're giving you this much more revenue, but it has to go toward police, fire, EMS, the courts, those kinds of things. You can't spend it on parks, right? Those are things also being worked out. The other thing I'm picking up is that Evers, because he put, remember, a two-pronged approach in his budget. It was the shared revenue piece and allowing every county to raise its sales tax and the top two dozen largest cities in Wisconsin to add a sales tax. That's kind of put a little bit of a, kind of a pause in the conversation because it's like, okay, wait a second. That's a whole lot of stuff that we don't want to do. So they're going to figure out where they're going with this thing, but my impression is there's still common ground on, on the, the concept, set. yeah. It's the mm -hmm. details, and that's what's really good. And Evers was supposed to meet on Thursday with Robin and Devin, uh, to talk, Robin Voss and Devin Lemieux, to talk more about you know, everything. So he thought they were going to have a nice conversation again. We'll see if that came to any fruition. But again, I, I don't think the idea has gone away. It's just there's a disagreement about what the details of it should look like, what's all said and done. And we saw the whole uh, politics behind this early on, too, shortly after Governor Tony Evers talked about dedicating 20% of the sales tax to shared revenue. Um, and then right after, Republicans say, well, he stole our yeah. idea. So we already kind of saw the bickering earlier um, after the budget address, and now it's kind of still a little bit there. So it remains mm -hmm. to be seen how they uh, talk about this when they all do sit, sit down. Um, also at the WCA uh, event, uh, the state Supreme Court candidates uh, had a speech um, to uh, members um, in the Wisconsin counties uh, uh, who were at the annual, annual event. And afterwards, reporters uh, got a chance to talk to each of the candidates. Um, we asked Janet Protosiewicz whether she would uh, uh, recuse herself from cases that involve the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. Why? Because she got a $2.5 million check uh, from the party. But when another reporter asked her about would she do the same uh, about abortion policy issues, she said absolutely not. Then Daniel Kelly also made his little speech um, earlier, and we asked him the same thing. He did not make the similar pledge, and he said he would maybe review things more on a case-by-case -case basis. So let's first hear from both candidates and then see kind of why this is a sticking point and why it will matter depending on who will get elected. I think that $2.5 million is obviously a significant amount of money. Whether or not I could continue to be fair and impartial on the case is one matter, but on the other hand, you know, the public deserves to have really also the appearance of fairness, the appearance of impartiality. And I don't know that the public could really say, hmm, she's fair when she's received two and a half million dollars from a particular entity. As far as recusal goes, of course, I will look at, it, uh, at that issue. Uh, very closely in any case uh, that would potentially uh, implicate the Republican Party or anyone else uh, who makes contributions. I have followed the, uh, the rules of recusal during my service on the Supreme Court, and I intend to do that going forward. Um, I think that with Janet having promised to put her thumb on the scales of justice, in some cases at least, uh, I think that really raises uh, the question of whether she can faithfully serve on the Supreme Court. 
So the issue of recusal was something that we also saw during the 2020 uh, Supreme Court election. And Jill Karofsky made this similar pledge that she would recuse herself from certain cases involving the Democratic Party because she was accepting funds for them. So this concept isn't new, but it, it, it weighs a lot more because of how Protosawitz kind of had the complete opposite answer when it came to abortion cases because if elected, regardless who is, that case, that 1849 criminal abortion ban challenge is likely going to be heard by justices on the high court. Yeah, the difference is the state party made a direct transfer to Prosecutor's campaign. Anti-abortion groups are not making a direct transfer to her campaign of $2.5 million. Now they're, they're giving her money. Correct. I'm seeing spending by pro, uh, groups support abortion rights, you know, for GOTV. But I'm not see you can't do the same comparison of that support to like that transfer. Daniel Kelly in 2020 rented office space at the state GP headquarters for his campaign. He got about 300 grand or so in support from the state party at the time. Uh, looking at his report so far, there's been a, a much from the state party we've seen. He said he would welcome the financial aid if it came from the state party, but would think everything on a case by case basis. The context of all this is Porto Say, which has supported a recusal rule where Kelly is not. This has been debated by the Supreme Court for years, where should there be a standard of groups cross X threshold in terms of donations, then you must step off a case. The conservative majority has said consistently, this must be a case-by-case basis. Only a judge or justice can make a decision for him or herself whether to hear a case. You can't have a standard, because it raises the question. Um, let's say you're Justice Fannin, and I oppose your election, so I spend money against you, can I force you off a case because I spent money against you, right? Case Questions like that. So Portisavich wants a rule. She has said she's called for Kelly to step off cases involving people like uh, the Republican Party of Wisconsin. Um, Kelly does not want one. He wants a case-by-case basis. I don't think this is going to be like a defining issue right. of the race, but it shows you a contrast in their philosophies about how the court should operate. All right. Then let's move on to also this week the co-chairs of the uh, the Republican co-chairs of the Joint Finance Committee also gave, gave some insight about what we can expect uh, during negotiations of while they work through uh, the budget process. And they kind of cast a doubt uh, that a flat tax, which was spearheaded by Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue, will be included in the final budget. They also kind of tossed some doubts uh, on allowing Milwaukee to raise their sales tax. Now, we'll get into more of the details mm-hmm. about this and stock picks of how this impacts Milwaukee and what lawmakers want to see from them. But this is just more of an update that we're getting of what the final budget will look like. So let's hear from the, the chairs real quick. For years already, we've been building towards you know doing things with our tax structure to work towards a flat tax, certainly in our caucus, I think the Senate caucus as well. I think that it will be um, probably unlikely to get to a full flat tax in this budget, but I think the goal is to continue to do things that work us towards that. Shared revenue is a good example of maybe a new area of some agreement. Um, also didn't have the attention last time. I think other areas of agreement are ones that have been around a while, like education, things of that nature. Now, when I say agreement, it doesn't mean that we're going to do what the governor asked for in his budget. And we may be, in the case of shared revenue, have some agreement on where some of the money can come from that could be an ongoing support. But the details are the big difference. We're going to be looking for innovation and for really how this money funds the future of what local governments need to provide. And so we're not interested in funding the same old systems with just new money. We want reforms, we want improvements that really fund the future of what are really essential services that local governments have to provide. 
we already knew that Governor Tony Evers would veto mm-hmm. a flat tax if it reached his desk. But I also asked Speaker Voss, is that still your preferred route? And he still he says he's still kind of a backer of a flat tax. What we heard more from the co-chairs is that they eventually want to get to a flat tax, but it's just not going to happen mm-hmm. this specific year and in this state budget. So Robin told me a few months ago it was in a hill he's going to die on, a flat tax. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I should note, I don't get the impression that Devin Lemme, he was thrilled with his co-chair of finance undercutting his pet project. Um, Devin has not given up on the idea of a flat tax. They're still talking about going some Republicans. The challenge is you don't have the Assembly GOP in the same passionate position on it, and the governor called it a poison bill. He said, I would veto a budget if included that. Now, he has threatened vetoes before. We would see if they put this in there, if he would veto it. But something you got to add is that when this first came out, the Fiscal Bureau said it would, when fully implemented in 2026, it would reduce state revenues by $5 billion. Uh, Lemmy, who told me at the time that that was a static scoring, basically just looking at current conditions, what would happen, he wanted dynamic scoring of what that could spur in terms of growth. Crow is a center on the UW Madison campus. It was founded with conservative money. So this is not a liberal group. This is not somebody who's going to be hostile toward the idea of a flat tax. They put out a report a week ago that looking at a dynamic scoring, that going to flat tax would increase productivity in Wisconsin output. It would increase sales tax collections. It would increase corporate tax collections. Even with that offset, it would still be a reduction of $3.9 billion in state revenues in 2026. Now, to put that in perspective, this current fiscal year, we are spending uh, about $900 million less than that on corrections, UW system, and tech colleges combined. So those three things are $3 billion. Add $900 million more, that's the size of the lost revenue you'd have if you went to a flat tax. Now, I'm not an economist. Others might argue there'd be a bigger impact, but that shows you the challenge. What, what was key and what Mark Line said was, we want a tax cut. We have to afford it. So the challenge is, yes, we have a $7.1 surplus this fiscal year. Remember, that is ba- built on one-time money. It's not ongoing uh, in perpetuity. Looking at the next two years, we're expecting revenue growth of $1.2 billion. That tells you really where we're kind of at in terms of like what we can afford to go up each year. This is a big chunk. Uh, now, backers aren't dropping it yet because they're going to argue that it's a competitive issue. Other states are doing this. We have to move to be competitive. But with Evers in that off in the governor's office, it's not going to happen. And I'm going to watch to see how the two caucuses deal with each other in joint finance when it comes to tax policy and what's in the budget. Because we still just don't know what the tax cut will mm-hmm. look like. Evers is still on, you know, going to these events, pushing for his middle co- middle income tax cut. We keep hearing this floating idea of a flat tax, but we know it's not going to be in the budget. So, like, what is that middle ground? And that's something likely going to come up with conversations with Voss, uh, Evers, and Lemahue when they meet. Um, so that's something we will continue to keep our eyes on, but still we just don't have those details quite yet. Um, also, uh, speaking of Governor Evers, he introduced his capital budget this week. Uh, he proposed a $3.8 billion budget that would finance half of the projects with cash instead of borrowing. Two of the highlights that I just want to bring up about that, about $1.8 billion would be for capital improvement projects throughout the UW system across campuses. And one uh, would sell the historic state office building here downtown Madison and two other downtown buildings uh, to save roughly $450 million dollars and those have been here for a very long time jr so uh evers capital budget two years ago was 2.3 billion republicans paired it back to 1.5 expect a similar trimming of this proposal 
Now the question is how far back they will go. Um, Mark Bourne called it unrealistic. So Evers, half of the budget, capital budget would go to UB campuses. He also wants to, by the way, the juvenile justice system, the cost for a type one facility in Milwaukee, which is the most serious juvenile offenders, that's been cited, it's been approved, enumerated. The cost has gone up. You know, we have inflation and all those kinds of going on. He wants more money to take care of that. He wants money to build a second type one facility. Uh, he also wants money to cite, figure out where to put a third one. The second one go in Dane County. The third would go in the North, uh, Fox Valley, northeastern Wisconsin, essentially. Um, so he's proposing that. Um, interesting to watch how that plays out. More so the capital budget I'm watching is, what do Republicans do in terms of bonding versus cash? We have a lot of cash right now. Again, as I just said, it's one-time money. Do they use one-time money for one-time expenses of building buildings rather than bonding? And the governor's selling point was, look, by doing half of this in cash, we save a billion dollars rather than doing bonds over 20 years. Okay, interesting. The capital budget has money to, these buildings are called Jeff 1, 2, and 3 in downtown Madison. They're state buildings built in the 70s to house workforce development, natural resources, and other agencies. He wants, in the capital budget, to renovate Jeff 1, um, to modernize it, fix underground parking garage, all that kind of stuff. Then envision 2030, which is the kind of long-term vision for the state's uh, footprint. He wants to close Jeff 2 and 3, and the DHS headquarters, sell those, and consolidate people in Jeff 1, and the Tommy G. Thompson building, also in downtown Madison. It would reduce the footprint of the state by almost a fourth in Madison. Interesting to note that DHS headquarters was the first state office building constructed outside the Capitol. It was built because everything at one time was on the Capitol's roof, but it got to be too much. They built that building to house. That was going to last forever, right? Not so much. Um, it's also part of an idea of going to more of a hybrid workforce. The idea being that in this economy, people want options. We have a hard time filling state jobs. If we go to a hybrid workforce, we could accommodate those folks and attract workers outside of Madison and Milwaukee to um, state work, state government. Also in the capital budget, there's all kinds of stuff. There's like $9 million for a professional soccer stadium in Milwaukee. Uh, it's, the projects go on and on and on. Expect Republicans to pair a lot of stuff out and focus on what do we need to maintain because all these buildings have to be maintained. You can't like let them go to pot, right? What do they maintain and what do we build uh, in addition to maintaining stuff? Yeah, and Governor Evers is kind of on this uh, capital budget tour touting mm -hmm. his capital projects, but remains to be seen what the final document will look like because, as you mentioned, each time Republicans usually slash it in half or about a fourth of it, um, trim it down. I uh, do want to mention, speaking of UW, yesterday UW System President testified before the Assembly Colleges and University uh, Committee and mentioned that, hey, I'm going to announce a 5% tuition uh, increase. And this is the first tuition increase in 10 years, and it comes two years after lawmakers voted to end the tuition freeze. Mm -hmm. So that gave the UW Board of Regents this ability to raise rates. Now, if approved, like I said, this would be a hike, but as Rothman mentioned and uh, spoke to committee members yesterday, it is the blow, the rate of inflation, which was the chair of the committee, uh, Representative Murphy, he had a bill that hope to do that. Mm -hmm. So he seemed pretty pleased about that. Now, some Democrats I spoke to, Christina um, uh, Shanklin, she did express some concerns, you know, because um, she represents the area of UW-Stevens Point, and 
She was a little concerned that it won't be as affordable as everyone else or other universities. But, you know, remains to be seen if they if this gets through and um, what will be the final product. Um, but other than that, there hasn't been many people speaking out against yeah. it. Uh, keep in mind, uh, Governor Evers proposed $130 million less in state aid to UW than what the system had re- requested. If he had fully funded the request, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Because there is that gap between what they asked for and what he provided, you can then say, hey, we need a tuition hike because we don't have as much as we want, right? Um, whether it's 5%, whether there's some uh, restrictions put in the state budget, whether it changes when the Board of Regents gets to it, right? Remains to be seen. But it's noteworthy that this is going to have to happen sometime. Uh, even Republicans who are advocates of the freeze would tell me that, look, we know eventually it's going to have to happen. You can't, even with the, especially with inflation going up the way it has been, we've had a great deal at UW-Madison, for example, our flagship campus is like the two or three cheapest universities in the Big Ten to go to school for in-state residents. It's a great deal. It has to go up. And Republicans will tell you they'd rather go up while the Boris are all Evers appointees and not Walker appointees. So now it's on the governor and his kind of uh, supporters that they're the ones doing this, not Republicans doing this. And uh, some good news for night owls, I guess, for next summer. Uh, In the Governor Evers budget, you kind of found this uh, Mm -hmm. first reading through it, uh, that during the week of the Republican National Convention, Governor Evers snuck in his budget a proposal that would allow bars to stay open until 4 a.m., so if you like staying out late, and a lot of convention goers do, this is good news. But, of course, it still has to be approved. Um, a lot of policy items typically are removed from the budget. But I spoke to the Tavern League. I believe you did, too. They believe there's likely going to be a standalone bill. There's still discussions uh, going on about what the final draft will look like. But we're assuming, based mm-hmm. on conversations I have with Tavern League, it's going to look the exact very same. So this would impact a whole host of counties in southeastern Wisconsin, 14 counties in total, including Milwaukee. And this is almost the exact same wording as a proposal we saw in 2020 uh, for extended bar hours during the DNC, which unfortunately uh, became mostly all virtual. Now, that bill never really gained, it gained traction. It passed the Assembly, but it never got all the way through the Senate. That was that really weird time, if everyone can remember, when the pandemic just first started in March of 2020. The Senate wrapped up their work pretty quickly and just never got to this. Now, there were some concerns um, from both sides of the aisle that keeping bars open a little bit longer could, you know, cause more accidents or more drunk drivers on the road. They added some provisions uh, to get more, basically, the revenue that would be, some of the revenue that would be raised would go to uh, the Tavern League's, like, safe driving program. So there's all these other things that can be in this bill uh, towards the end, but just kind of wait-and-see approach because we still have another year um, um, before this would happen next July. Um, so we'll yeah, see what that happens. That 2020 bill at one point got loaded up with a bunch of alcohol stuff, like yeah. wedding barns. They got stripped back, passed the assembly in a bipartisan margin, died in the Senate because they canceled the last day due to COVID. In the last budget two years ago, Evers wanted to allow everybody in the entire state hey, to up, to, up to four weeks of extending bar hours for any event. That got pulled out right away. Um, there are three options to do this. There is one, the budget, two, a standalone bill with just this provision in it, and three, I've picked up that there are conversations among all the players in alcohol policy to do a big bill about a lot of things. Now, anytime you touch alcohol in Wisconsin, there are a lot of players and a lot of sensitive oh, yeah. feelings about it because you have the three-tiered system about producers, distributors, and wholesalers. All these players are together talking about something, they are expecting to deliver a bill to Rob Swearingen, 
Republican from Rhinelander, who's former Taveling president, who is really keyed in these issues, say, here, we have an agreement. If they can reach it, if, um, this is what we want to do, and it could be in that. If that bill falls apart, then you could probably have the standalone bill that would do it by itself. I don't know what they want to do with the budget because of policy things. But yes, somehow, some way, you should be able to drink longer in Milwaukee this uh, next summer during the convention. Remember, too, the 14 counties, it doesn't extend it automatically. You have to have have a vote. Mm -hmm. So as far west as Madison, as far north as Sheboygan County, uh, they could extend hours if this passes. I know some Madison alders that I spoke to, they said they would like to give this the thumbs up. Just depends on how many others mm-hmm. want to uh, uh, vote to do it as well. All right, let's get to stock picks this week. Rising is, wow, no surprise here, JR. Yeah. <laughs> uh, state Supreme Court spending in this race. So I've been keeping my spreadsheet. I've got $19 million in counting so far. Um, that means we have almost doubled the state record of $9.8 million. We have blown by the national record of $15 million in 2004 in Illinois. The question is, where do we end up? I was looking back. The governor's race in 2010 was $37 million. That's like my benchmark right now, which sounds kind of crazy for well, sounds really crazy for a Supreme Court race. Could we hit what used to be a gubernatorial campaign, especially such a compressed window? What I'm watching is how much do conservatives bring into this race because liberals keep telling me, whatever they do, we're going to top. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing so far in the early days of the general election is, the really amassing of funds on the liberal side. Janet Portisewicz has reserved $6.5 million on TV so far. Uh, Better Wisconsin Together's political funds doing $1.3 million. And then I'm seeing a million dollars in GOTV, get out the vote efforts. These are the door knocking, the phone banking, the reaching out to people from the Democratic side. All we have right now is a Fair Courts America, funded largely by Dick Uline, doing about $975,000 on TV. Now, that's just one week. So you can't compare that to the $6.5 million for Potosiewicz because that's from you know, last week all the way through April 4th. But Daniel Kelly said they're going to spend $20 bucks to help me. Let's do some basic math. We are now four weeks and change out. So this is week five. We got less than a million bucks. So in the last four weeks, you have to have about $3.7 million spent a week for conservatives to make $20 million. That's not going to happen. Okay, so we're not going to talk that much money. But again... We're at 19 million. Do we see it get up to 30? Maybe. 35? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, but it's going to be fascinating to watch how much comes in. I get the impression conservatives are trying to, like, to rally the troops. Like, we got to get going. Um, and they know they're behind because the Democratic Party of Wisconsin is in a fundraising machine, and they can't match that just yet. All right, and mix this week is Milwaukee. Now, mm-hmm. we talked about this earlier on the show, specifically about some doubts about Milwaukee getting their 1% sales tax um, in the budget, unlikely. But this is something that Milwaukee leaders have been advocating, mm-hmm. showing up at the Capitol, trying to meet with lawmakers about this. But they have to prove it. I mean, they have to prove it to top Republicans that they're going to fix the pension issues and a whole host of other things. The pitch, the hard pitch to make right now to the Republican is, why should you help Milwaukee? Because the Republicans are saying, look, Milwaukee made bad decisions for years and years and years. They should feel the pain and change their behavior. They keep electing liberal Democrats. Maybe if they feel the pain, then they'll change what they do. The problem is that's not realistic financially. Leadership, public leadership knows this. Democrats know this, that they can't risk that fallout. So what I'm getting, the impression I'm getting is the discussion of the 1% is still alive. It's still moving that direction. It's making this sell. And what strings must be attached to that 1% to make it palatable? For example, Milwaukee City and County, the only two in the state that have a separate pension system. Could you, for example, take that 1% sales tax on top of the existing one for the county 
put all that money into the pension obligations to pay for existing retirees and participants, and take all new employees and move them to the state system, you would then basically phase out the county and city system and have this never be a problem ever again, in theory. Would you have other strings attached, like require reforms in Milwaukee, Milwaukee County to get this money? That's the big discussion. What are they going to pitch? And oh, by the way, complicating things are there's still federal COVID money kind of not laying around, but unspent. There. Yeah. Uh, there's $290 million bucks for the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, it's not to Milwaukee, but it's going into the Milwaukee market. There's a soccer stadium money. Republicans going, why are we doing so much for Milwaukee? What about my, my community, mm-hmm. right? That's the tough sell right now. It's going to be a challenge. I get the impression they're going to get there on 1%. It's not going to be easy, though, to get there. All right, we got about one minute left, and falling this week is the Green Bay Prison because Governor Evers did not include that project in his capital budget. This is a great example of um, the governor's philosophy running up against realities of, like, the, the situation, the Green Bay Prison upon prison. Green Bay was built in 1898, Upon also from the 1890s, I believe, or 1880s. These prisons are old. They are not efficient. They are not great facilities. It would make all sense in the world to close both of them and have a brand new facility that houses everybody in those two, but is safer, more efficient, and requires fewer people to run. Evers, however, wants to reduce the prison population. Philosophically, as the governor, how do you support building a new facility when you want to reduce the population. So the Green Bay community wants something done. This is prime real estate. They can redevelop and do something with. But the governor's saying, "Ah, it's not going to happen. It's not the right time. We're trying to change our trajectory because we have a high incarceration rate in Wisconsin, right? Right. Especially among black men. It's an issue. Evers is not going to go down that path, even though you talk to people who follow correction stuff, they're like, yeah, we need something different. This is not working what we're doing right now. Right. Also, pay raises are mm-hmm. something that's going to be ongoing discussions about prisons. Uh, well, budget negotiations uh, down the road, too. So we'll see what happens there. All right. That will do it for this week. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.